and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to our friend Sam Amick coming up here momentarily. That's amazing. Austin just told me the Mets won today because one of their players leaned into a pitch and got hit. And, and that walked in the winning run. Uh, the oldest trick in the book. It, 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 we used to have a signal for that when we were in whatever Pony League, Babe Ruth or whatever we were playing. The, the lean into it signal. You ever have that when uh, when you were hitting home runs against first graders? <laughs> when I was in second grade, the, the old the old sign that says "You better take this pitch," and while you're taking it, you better lean in pretty good. Jake, when you were pitching high school uh, baseball, if you had a hitter who was leaning in like that, did you give him the old chin music? Uh, it depended, I suppose. I wasn't nece- I wasn't really a power pitcher, so I- intimidation wasn't necessarily my thing. But yeah, I mean, you were you were were crafty. (laughs) I didn't I didn't mind, uh, you know, losing one a little bit every now and again. But, you know, it's not like I'd I'd throw a 90 right past their chin. (laughs) How fast for the fastest really clocked? I don't even know. Uh, Let's get to our daily assist. Gordon, shall we? Sure. Austin, hit it. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Sam, how are you, sir? I'm good, guys. Good to be with you as always. Thanks for jumping on with us. Uh, get your thoughts on uh, on a heck of a game we saw last night between the Jazz and the Suns. Jazz didn't make their threes, but they pushed it to overtime. It was really uh, – I thought it was a great game. Yeah, it was a fantastic game. I was telling a, a colleague today that, if I'm being honest, you know, it's the longer I'm not in the arena seeing as much live basketball as I would like and really not any just yet, you know, you uh, the game doesn't feel the same. You don't end up – enjoying it to the same degree, but that one kind of transcended the, you know, the, the at-home dynamic. I mean, I was glued to the screen and enjoying it and was, was happy when it was overtime because I bet we got, you know, more free basketball that I'm a high caliber. So fun stuff. Um, I mean, if we're kind of going through takeaways, to be honest with you, I think, I mean, for the Jazz, it, you know, it's just another game and they played well and, and they're playing well in general. But for Phoenix to – kind of have that kind of poise and send a message that uh, that they are not only going to rack up wins against the lesser teams, but to compete with a team like Utah. I thought it was quite a statement game by them. You know, I, I guess, uh, Sam, it, we've seen so many games through the years where the, that intensity isn't always there. And it's nice to see two teams that are trying to prove something, you know, and right. not only are they – at the top of the uh, the Western Conference, but they they're trying to show everybody what they got, and so you get them uh, playing really hard. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's also the, the one thing they can both teams can relate to is that even while you know while Utah's been competitive and considered one of the better teams in the West for a lot longer than this Phoenix team that has come out of nowhere, um, they are both getting quote unquote disrespected to a, an extent and to a point right now where you guys know there's kind of that narrative or that idea that well it's it's nice that Utah's on top and everything and Phoenix is uh, is right there but when the Lakers get healthy and when the Clippers really turn it on and even Denver now is I think you know getting a lot more of, of the kind of credibility conversation around them so it felt like two teams that are tired of being told that that they're not you know quite the caliber they think they might be and and trying to to put on a, a good show and they certainly did that. Sam, I want to ask you about the Suns and how they play. Um, you know, we we see with the Jazz, they want to get shots at the rim and they want to get threes, specifically corner threes, and avoid mid-range shots to the point where um, Jordan Clarkson has talked a bunch of times about how that's really how he's changed his game. He's cut out his mid-range jumpers. And you look at the Suns, and they take a lot of threes, not quite as many of the Jazz, uh, but they're all about the mid-range. They're, they're kind of bucking the trend and having a lot of success. And I guess... You think it'll work long term? What do you think about the Suns going against the grain? Yeah, I mean that's kind of part of the Chris Paul experience. You know, they already had a fair amount of that with Devin Booker. Um, you know, but Chris is just—you know—he can shoot the three, but he's not. You know, he's not one of those people that has kind of completely changed his game to reflect the time, and you know, with good reason. I mean, he can get to any spot on the floor and. You know, and for him, a lot of times in terms of the analytics, the one thing that gets overlooked is that it's not just a matter of you know trading twos for threes, but it's you know an open two in the mid range for Chris Paul is an extremely high percentage shot. Same thing for Devin and some of the other wings. So um, you know, I don't know. I mean, could it be an X factor that might you know kind of preclude them from getting a little farther in the playoffs, or or maybe one day you know winning the whole thing? I don't know, but. You know, I mean, right now the the evidence kind of speaks for itself. You got the second best record in the league, and and uh, and offense is certainly not a problem. I think they're like sixth in the league right now, so you know they're doing fine on that end of the floor. Sam, I wrote a column today that dealt with a three point shot, and the Jazz obviously depend on that. But last night they were eleven of forty four, which is twenty five percent, which is well below what they normally average, and that really cost them in that game. Uh, so I went back and looked to see uh, what effect, sh- depending on the three, has on teams in the postseason. And all the data I could find said that, yeah, there, the percentages drop a little bit in the playoffs, but no more than two-point shot percentages drop. And I thought that was really interesting. That surprised me a tad bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it shocks me. Um we still, you know, we're kind of guilty in the league and just around the league. I think of having, you know, some kind of um, mentalities or urban legends or just schools of thought that aren't necessarily tied to to reality. So I kind of give you credit for trying to suss that one out and see what's fact and what's fiction. Um, the first thought I had though is like, you know, the, the one recent example that people would certainly bring up is you know the Rockets missing 27 threes in a row against the Warriors when they were on the brink of, of kind of upsetting their dynasty. And so we have, you know, times like that when you say, okay, you know, just go to the rim and stop chucking it. But 
they they said it on the telecast last night. That's not today's NBA. I think that Mark Jackson was saying that. I forget if it was about Donovan or Devin. Um, I think it was Donovan because he was not shooting real well early on. And his point was that back in the day, as his coach, you could tell him like, "All right, you know, you three for eleven, shooting a lot of, of outside. Let's get to the rim." But now it's like just you know, stay true to your identity. And not that he, I mean, he gets to the rim plenty, but, you know, go uh, just have confidence and keep shooting it. So, I mean, that's that's where it's at these days. And the Jazz, as we've seen on most nights, are going to, you know, shoot the heck out of that thing. And that's why they have however many 20-plus point wins. And, and, you know, they have not just had the best record in the league. It's been an incredibly dominant run. And, uh, you know, I'm very curious to see six weeks from now if, if it does translate to the postseason. Sam, I apologize if I asked you a similar question when you joined us on trade deadline day because you were nice enough to jump on with us that day, which was awesome. But the uh, Trailblazers are in town. And uh, tell us a little bit about what Norman Powell does for them. He's six games in and has played pretty well, but uh, how does he make them better? I mean, it's it's another threat. You know, they, they need to obviously uh, take pressure off of Damian Lillard. I mean, that's their main problem. It's it's a little bit like, you know, the Warriors before they got Kevin Durant, even though Clay Thompson fantastic, you know, it, it had reached a point where Steph was still uh, so transcendent that the opposing defenses were just keying on him like crazy. So for Portland, especially, you know, when they have injuries, you know, being without C.J. McCollum for so long, another player that's going to draw a lot of attention. Norman is just a, a third guy that I think they hope is going to take the offense to another level and to allow Damian to, to keep growing his game. I mean, as, as great as he is, I, I still think that he's got room to grow when it comes to playing off the ball, when it comes to, you know, playing with a guy like Norm Powell where, you know, maybe if, if you don't have everything run through Damian to the degree that it does, then maybe they can get a little farther in the postseason. Um, so, you know, he needs to be that guy. Uh, I'm curious in the, in the summer, they're going to have to pay him. And part of the thing with him is, you know, you never know what a player's hopes, you know, how they'll align with, with what teams have in mind. But he's he's definitely gunning for a pretty serious payday when free agency comes around. And, and because the uh, the Blazers gave up Gary Trent Jr. to get him, you kind of assume that they're willing to, to pay whatever it takes. I want to circle back on Damian Lillard a little more, Sam. Uh, he's Obviously, we've been watching him since he was playing at Weber State here. Has he surpassed? It's interesting to hear you say that you think he can get even better. Uh, is it? Uh, has he surpassed what your expectations were for him? I mean, this year over 29 points, nearly eight assists a game, P of uh, over 30. Uh, what do you make of that? I mean, yes, he has been better than I thought he would be, uh, although I definitely thought he was going to be very good. He's one of the few guys for me. I mean, you guys know my style well enough. I, I don't, you know, my my style of coverage is not scouting heavy. I'm not necessarily an actually an old guy. So Damian is one of the few guys that, you know, if you ask me, like, all right, which players did you kind of have the foresight to say, you know, this guy's going to be better than people realize? Damien's one of them for me, and mainly because I went to a, a workout that he put on uh, heading into the draft. They, they did it in Oakland, his hometown, and uh, I was the only media member there. And I just could tell right away that this guy, as far as his motor, 
and his level of seriousness and professionalism and intelligence and maturity and all those things, like, he was incredibly impressive. You know, we, I didn't interview that day, but I also watched his workout for probably like an hour, uh, and it was a pretty memorable workout just in terms of intensity and, you know, and just, again, his engine. Um, so I knew he'd be good, but, you know, not only did I not know he'd be this good, but the way that he has, you know, kind of stubbornly stayed in that same market and tried to get the Blazers over the hump and, and been really loyal to them as a team and, and not, you know, at any point in the last three, four years, he could have told his agent, just go ahead and ask for a trade. And the Blazers would have been put into a tough spot and he's not going that road. So um, he's, in, he's incredible, man. I think he's a, a, just a huge plus and a bonus and a positive, you know, impact on the league. Uh, but yeah, I do still think he can get better. And it's interesting because they've had some uh, matchups with the Warriors over the years and, you talk to Warriors people who do, you know, they got the utmost respect for Damian. But for me, those are the, that's the group that has always kind of been in my ear about Damian and how, like, ironically, if he picked up a little bit more of what Steph does off the ball, that that would be the kind of wrinkle that would make him even more dangerous. Sam Amick with us from The Athletic. And uh, just you and uh, John Hollinger have been working on the free agency files at The Athletic. And just to give a quick plug, I uh, would encourage everybody to go read it. You guys break it down beautifully, right down to who's going to have room and who's not and uh, who's going to be out there, possibly, of course. Uh, but somebody that you have on your top five list is Mike Conley. And he's had an all-star season and he's played great. Uh, talk a little bit about Mike and what kind of market might await him if he chooses to go out there and really test it. Well, I, I gave my guy John Hollinger a hard time when we did this project because I admittedly I, I started doing the project solo when I came up with the top five and then realized that John you know, I, I like working with John and he's better on the cap stuff than I am, so I looked him in and, and I said, Hey, you know, take a look at the top five. Um, I said, I got your guy Mike Conley number five and I'm assuming you're gonna wanna put him number one because John <laughs> worked John worked with Mike in Memphis, John was a, a member of the Grizzlies front office and just absolutely adores Mike uh, as a person and, and as a player. And so uh, but we stuck with number five. And, you know, I think the way um, that we framed it, and, you know, kudos or I guess uh, appreciation to, to Austin, the super producer on the show who had texted me saying he thought that we kind of hit the nail on the head, is that, you know, Mike has made it real clear that he wants to re-sign in Utah. It's just a matter of the, the finances. Um, you know, with the Jazz have a new ownership and, you know, a chance here with Mike to have, I think, a, a run at title contention for the next several years, it, it would seemingly be a no-brainer. But, you know, signing Mike to a big-time deal is going to put them deep into the luxury tax. And so that's the only if to me. I'm not hearing any noise as of yet about Mike, you know, kind of, looking at greener pastures with other teams. But that being said, it's free agency, right? So with the way he's playing, the way he's shooting the ball, the way he's still showing that at his age, you know, he can play at a high level and and he's rediscovered his game over the course of the past year. I mean, he's going to have a a, a market. It's an extremely uh, strong, like, kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, like an old head point guard market. So, you know, it's it's Mike Conley, it's Kyle Lowry, it's Chris Paul. Um, there's a lot of guys like that that, that are going to be available, and, and I think Mike certainly is going to get plenty of attention. Sam, it's interesting to compare 
the top two teams right now in the West versus the top team in the East and how they were constructed. You just mentioned Mike Conley. Obviously, the Jazz got him. The Suns got Chris Paul. But those teams are kind of homegrown teams. And when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, it's kind of the exact opposite there. I find that contrast kind of kind of compelling. Yeah, I'm with you for sure, Gordon. And I'll be honest, I had this thought yesterday. You know, I'm getting, I'm starting to get really itchy in terms of, you know, one to get out to the arena again. I'm kind of sick of watching hoops on, on TV only. And I was thinking ahead to the playoffs and the finals and the idea of what if the Nets won the whole thing. And, and I was thinking this as I was watching the the Nets Pelicans game. And you know, it's nothing against them, but as a writer, I'm kind of sitting there going, man, like if they win the whole thing. I'm like, what is what is the story? Like, there's no struggle, there's no there's no kind of you know organic. Like, let's say the Jazz win it, you got a hell of a story there. You know what I mean? You got a, a team that has been through a lot together, that had to you know had to kind of hit their head against the wall several times in the playoffs. Uh, there's a lot of other teams like that out there. You know, I mentioned the Warriors before. You know, when I covered their championships, even the Cavs. I mean, LeBron James going home. That's a heck of a story. Um, the, the Nets one is not all that compelling to me. It's just a bunch of really incredible basketball players who found a way to, to team up. And if they get it done, you just tip your hat to them. But I don't think it's the kind of stuff that they're going to be making movies about. Um, <laughs> but they're good. You know what I mean? They keep you know, games like yesterday where you know they get Durant back, but they don't have James Harden, and they're still out there just absolutely – you know, dominating a Pelicans team that that on some nights looks pretty good. Um, you know, they're they're going to be dangerous, and I do think it's certainly in the cards that they go win the whole thing. Sam, you're there in uh, in California, and uh, well, we've been following obviously the Jazz with fans. They've had some fans in the building for the whole season. They're up to Austin. What is it like, 5,400? I think something along those lines. Fans per game, obviously limited. Um, the state of Utah mask mandate is is being lifted, I believe, this Saturday. But the Jazz have announced that they will continue with the with the mandate at their games. Just curious about the California teams because I know uh, they're trying to get back to normal in June, right? I mean that. Could be could there be fans in California arenas uh, by the by the summertime by the playoffs? I think so. Yeah, I, I looked into that the other day, and the sense I get is that for whichever California teams are lucky enough to be in the playoffs, which I guess technically speaking, all four are uh, still in play. The Lakers and Clippers will be in. Uh, Warriors and Kings are on the fritz. Um, that like 30% capacity is probably what they would be looking at. So, you know, if you go in my neck of the woods, if the Kings made it, um, you know, I'm terrible at math, but that would be roughly five or 6,000 fans. Um, so, you know, it'll be, it'll be a fan element with some noise and some excitement. And I think one thing in the media that, that, that we're guilty of overlooking and, and certainly I am is like, because I was never, an elite athlete, elite player of any kind, and I'm just owning that. It's just true. I wasn't like I, sometimes I don't think we quite understand what the fan presence means to the players. And, and now that the fans have started to come back, um, I've noticed and I've tried to pay attention to the fact that it really does seem to energize these players and 
even their post-game comments and things they had to say after the game, they you know they get a kick out of it. And it's a weird time now because you've got small crowds. Like, and I'm sure you guys saw this moment last night with the Nets. I thought it was pretty cool. Like, um, Kyrie gets uh, we never see Kyrie dunk, and Kyrie has a dunk that, based on his size, is pretty impressive. And he's in traffic, and he finishes. And before he even hit the ground, he's pointing to a certain part of the stands, and they showed later that it was his family. And his dad's sitting there and his sister, I think. Um, and it was it was just neat, you know, and that's, a, that's, you know, another version of the fan interaction component. So, yeah, I think, you know, it'll be nice as long as everybody's able to, to stay healthy, obviously. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing these games with some people back in the buildings. So you said, Sam, this is kind of a personal question, but you said that uh, you're looking forward to getting back in those buildings, like you just said. Is the family, uh, is the are the wife and kids ready to get you out of the house and get a, get a, <laughs> boot you out a little bit? No, nah, we just we need a balance, man. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be good to get out again. But I, I told my editor the other day, I was like, man, don't. Don't get it wrong. Like I, I don't think I'm going to travel like I used to when we get on the back end of this thing. I think I've learned a thing or two about, you know, Gordon. You can relate to the writer experience where, like, when you run out of ideas, the knee-jerk reaction is, "All right, I need to hit the road." You know, and that's always like the first tool you reach for in the tool belt, so to speak. But a year of a pandemic, finding ways to be productive. And, and have some kind of impact with your coverage while being forced to stay home uh, is, is, I think, added a few tools to the tool belt, to be honest. And so, I, you know, I am looking forward to getting back. I don't want to be back uh, in quite the same capacity as I was before. But uh, I also just look forward to, from a media standpoint, we're not clear yet on when we will get to talk to players again in person and when some of these restrictions will get lifted. So I'll feel better once we have clarity there, because even though I can go to a game now, but I'm still sitting up high and maybe saying hello to a few people in the media who I'm friendly with. But, you know, we're, we're not to that point where we can go do what we do just yet. I don't recall whether I've ever told you this story or not, uh, Sam, but uh, I remember long ago, back when the Jazz were making those deep playoff runs, I'm thinking late 90s, uh, I ran in at the airport. I ran into Chris Sheridan, who at that time was a basketball writer for, I think, the AP, wasn't he? And he had, I, I, he had, he was hauling this thing through the airport with about ten bags stacked on it. And I looked at him and I said, "Chris, what are you doing?" And he said, "I haven't been home in seven weeks." Oh wow! Right. <laughs> that's that's a whole it. lot I of mean, traveling, man. I mean, right as I say that, it's going to be a busy summer because um, I think if I had to if I had to predict it, I'll probably travel a fair amount for the playoffs, and then um, I'm tentatively planning on going to the Olympics too. So on the back end of the playoffs, then it'll be off to Tokyo, um, which you know that'll be a, a wild experience. So even even saying that out loud gives me kind of. You know, I've got a little anxiety rush because I've been home so long. Like, wait a minute, what? Like Tokyo? That seems like another planet right now, <laughs> based on you know how the last year has gone. But we'll, you know, we'll get there. I just I can relate to the Sheridan story. Um, 
and you guys know we talk about it occasionally. I got two young kids who are not always going to be young. So as far as silver linings go over the course of the past year, it's actually been kind of a blessing in disguise to, to get this kind of time with them. Well, Sam, thank you for spending a little time with us. We appreciate it and uh, have a great weekend. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate you. Thank you, Sam. Our friend Sam Amick from The Athletic. And uh, he and John Hollinger, their their piece on the free agency is is extraordinarily useful. I would encourage anybody to, to get on there and check it out. Uh, like I said, uh, Hollinger kind of goes through the cap room, and then Sam puts in some analysis with, uh, with the players and who are out there. But it, it, it'll be an interesting offseason. Um, and not that we're trying to fast forward to the offseason, but, you know, some big <laughs> names could, could move teams or everybody could stay put, and there's only a few teams that actually could sign somebody with current cap space um, as it stands now. So it could be, could a, be little, a crazy uh, one. A little tip for you, Jake. Um, after the Jazz have lost two straight and are facing a tough opponent tonight, uh, could lose three straight, Maybe us talking about the offseason isn't the best idea. Well, hey, listen, <laughs> I'll, I'll tie it to the here and now. Mike Conley has been a huge part of what this True. Jazz team has accomplished this year, and he's going True. to be an unrestricted free agent. And as Sam said right there, the, the all indications are that he'd like to stay, that he likes it here with this team, but the Jazz will have to get a little creative maybe to find the dough to keep him here because he has played so well. And he's not cheap. Right, or uh, I don't think he'll be worth thirty million dollars a year. So where um, where would but, you put that number now? I I I mean I honestly have have no clue. It's not thirty though. He's just he's just not yeah. going to command that kind of you know at this point in his career. But I mean he's he's probably in the low twenties, high teens. I mean he was an all star. Yeah. I, it depends. I mean, is he is he going to go for a one year payday? Is he going to try and stretch it out and have this be his kind of last contract? I mean, I think some of that depends on what he wants. So, um, but the way he's played this year, I would guess that the Jazz will try and, and do what they can to to stay in the mix for him. Now, if he does find a team out there that's going to give him thirty million a year, I mean, that's gonna that's gonna force a real tough decision on the Jazz standpoint, or you know, from a Jazz standpoint. Yes. Yeah. No kidding. So, well, if it wasn't that long ago, remember after what happened last season, people were talking about ah, oh, trade him, you know. <laughs> Funny how times can change. Well, we'll see what kind of market's out there for him. That's kind of why I asked Sam that question the way that I did. Because, yeah. uh-huh. you know, the Jazz certainly could get priced out of it. But, you know, if if they figure out what he wants and are able to take care of him, it sounds like he'd just assume stay here and likes how this is going. So, And why wouldn't he? He made the All-Star team this year. He's playing great. Yeah, he seems to like it here. And that that's one of those questions that you and I talk about a lot, Jake, about where do you draw that line between of priorities? I mean, would you be if you really like it, the team the, the, and the influence you're having on your team? You can tell the Jazz players all respect Mike. I mean, maybe every player respects Mike. He seems to be one of the most well liked players across the entire league. But he likes playing with this team, and he likes his influence on it as well. And so, if that were the case, and it were you, would you be willing maybe? maybe to stay and, and get not necessarily a cut rate uh, deal, but one that is maybe a little more economical for the Jazz than it would be where you might be able to go off to, you know, uh, play in, in uh, you know, Detroit or something. Um, well, let me, I'm trying to decide how I'm going to answer that because I don't think it's quite 
it's it's quite so like like let me put it this way if you're Mike Conley and you like playing here and you know you're really only going to be at this level for another year or two but the Jazz come to you with a four-year deal and it's going to be light up front and really heavy on the back end because uh, we know the salary cap will eventually even out as we get fans back and the pandemic uh, hopefully comes to a close and they get back to business as usual and the cap gets back to going up as opposed to staying steady you know what I can I would absolutely consider something like that but would I just take a short-term low-ball contract because uh, I like the climate in Utah probably not <laughs> but you could ask the same question of the jazz do you want a uh, a longer term heavy at the end contract hanging around your neck right. when Mike might not be right. as effective as he is now but say you know he gets to, he get an average of twenty from another team. Do you say okay, Mike? We've only got ten for you, but when you know you're not quite so productive and have trouble finding a contract on the open market, we'll still be paying you more than you're worth. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. what I, I there 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 is no such thing as a hometown discount. <laughs> I, I know people like to wave that term around quite a bit. I don't think it exists. But that doesn't well, mean you can't sign a friendly contract with your team and figure out a way to make it work and right. I, that's what i think that they'll they'll try yeah. and do and if he weren't motivated then you know he might not uh, even consider some of those things but to quote uh, the great villain ursula life is full of tough choices isn't it bob casper joins us next 97.5 and 1280 the zone This Uinta Golf Masters update with Bob Casper is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zion's Bank, Black Desert Resort, and get some guns and ammo. Now, here's Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper. That's right. You hear him on Saturday mornings alongside Brian Taylor on Real Golf Radio. Here to talk a little Masters with us, our friend Bob Casper. Bob, what's up, buddy? How are you? Hey, how you guys doing? Not as well as Justin Rose is, that's for sure. What did he figure out today? You know, um, he was two over after seven, and then he got on a roll, um, birding, at, well, shooting nine under in the next ten holes, and uh, 11 holes. And he, uh, you know, when you get on a roll like that, um, and he has experience around here, and he has a couple runner-up finishes, um, he just kind of blew away the field and um it's kind of a little bit of an anomaly because he's he's four shots clear of, of second place but we'll see what happens tomorrow when he has to play in the afternoon um and or excuse me he plays in the morning tomorrow um and the conditions are a little bit different and if anybody can can make a push towards him but he played a, he played a great round of golf from the eight hole on and um and really took advantage of opportunities Bob, remind us, uh, is it often that a player gets off to a hot start like that and keeps the lead throughout? Can you remember back over previous Masters tournaments where that happened? Or usually the first day, can you just sort of discount what the leaders are? Well, um, you know, Justin Rose is definitely a guy that uh, he's won a major championship. He's won the U.S. Open. um, and, And he's won on the PGA Tour many events. So, um, you know, he's got the experience as far as a major champion is concerned. Um, The thing about Justin Rose is Justin Rose has led the Masters quite a few times after the first round and hasn't gone on to win one yet. So 
he's given himself a little bit of a cushion, but he's got guys behind him like Webb Simpson and Zeki Murayama, uh, Patrick Reed, who's the Masters champion. He's back there at two under par. Um, and uh, it'll be it, – it will definitely be interesting to see what he does over the next 54 holes. My guy, Tommy Fleawood, hits a hole in one, and he's still plus two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, – the interesting thing about Tommy Fleetwood is – in Austin at the match play, he made a hole-in-one. And then now this week, two weeks later, he makes a hole-in-one on the 16th hole at Augusta. So he's made a hole-in-one two out of the last three weeks on on the PGA Tour. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the golf course is playing difficult. You get yourself a little bit out of position. You, you, you know, you make, some, you make some bad scores, make some bogeys and stuff. He was four over at the time and then makes the hole-in-one. We asked you, Bob, earlier about, I think the other day, a couple of days ago, about Jordan Spieth and what effect he might have on this tournament. Well, he found a little trouble. Yes. He, uh, you know, he, he got the one under par and then he made, uh, let me see, what did he make? He made a triple bogey at the ninth hole. Um, then was able to um, make a birdie. Um, he's made one birdie. Um, uh, I can't remember exactly which hole it was on on the back. Oh, it was a it was uh, 10 on the back nine. He made a birdie. So he's one over. He's still got 15, 16, 17, and 18 to play. So he's coming along. Bob, it seems like those greens out there are tough. I saw a dude put it into the water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the greens are still fiery. They're kind of brown looking. Um, that's because there's so much. Uh, they, they've taken the moisture out of it. And um, it's... You know, it, what they're trying to do is they're trying to hedge their bet against the weekend because the weekend it looks like they're going to have a lot of moisture and, and the scores could go low. Um, so what they're trying to do is keep, keep everything in check. Justin, Justin Rose shot that, shot that in the foot for him. But um, I was thinking going into today that the lowest score possibly today could be four under par. But, um, but Justin Rose, you know, and, and it was holding up, you know. The next, next guys are three under, but Justin Rose is seven. What do you make of what Tony Finau is doing at plus one right now? Do you, is, he, uh, is he hanging in there? Could he, could he still mount a charge? Yeah, uh, you know, Tony, Tony has some holes coming down the stretch that he can do some things on, uh, the 16th, 17th, and 18th. I, you know, Tony's, Tony's getting himself in good position. He's hit a couple errant shots um, starting the back nine and missed, missed a few putts. He missed a, a short one, about an eight-footer on the ninth hole. Birdie, but uh, Tony's coming along fine. He's 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 still holding, you know, top twenty so far, and and he gets the nice thing is he gets out in the morning tomorrow, and uh, so he's got better greens, he's got smoother greens, softer greens, better conditions, and should have an opportunity to shoot a good score. Give us a name or two, Bob. You're expecting to make a move over the next couple of days. Well, I you know I think um, I think the guys that that uh, that we've talked about some of the guys we've talked about already. Um, I think, uh, I think you got to look at Webb Simpson, who's played well there at the last few times, Patrick Reed, um, who's a few shots back. Um, I, I still think that, uh, Jordan Spieth, um, will, will have an opportunity to get in the mix as it, as it goes along, um, that he'll shoot over the next couple of rounds. Um, he'll shoot some, uh, some good scores and then be able to be in contention coming down the, the, 
you know, the final round and coming down the last nine holes. So um, Brooks Kepka's at two over. D- Jeff Dustin Johnson's at two over. That can turn around pretty easy if they uh, if they get on a roll like like uh, Justin Rose did um, and get themselves back into the tournament. So two over par is not too far out. Uh, the cut at the Masters, I think, is 60, 60 in ties. And, uh, and uh, you know, two over, two over is not out of it. You know, Bob, uh, Jake, Jake, uh, he said, could say the same thing about Bob Bryson DeChambeau that he used to tell the girls when he was in high school, muscles aren't everything. <laughs> tell us about uh, what the big bruiser uh, was struggling with today at plus four. You know, I think I think it's just um, giving giving himself some opportunities to make birdies, and he, and and he didn't. Um, <clears throat> I think what he's trying to do on this golf course is is overpower the golf course. And Augusta National is not a golf course that you try to overpower. Um, you try to hit uh, shots from point to point, and when a golf when the golf course is playing this fast. You've got to you've got to hit it to the right angles off the tee to get the correct angles into the flags, and uh, and it's just you know uh, he's going to have to revamp his idea of how to play this golf course, and and that's not necessarily hitting it as far as you can and getting it further up the fairway because a lot of times that doesn't bode you well because um, you'll hit it in the trees or something like that. You don't get the right angles, so. Um, I don't. Th- I don't think longer is better. I think. Uh, I think more strategic golf around Augusta National gives you an opportunity to win. Well, Bob, thanks for jumping on with us, buddy. We really appreciate it. We'll uh, keep our ears uh, on you and Bob throughout the week, and of course Saturday morning. Okay, sounds good, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Our friend Bob Casper, by the way, son of a very famous Bill himself. The name That's of the show. True. By the way, you said that uh, we'll be listening to you and Bob. Oh, I did. I meant you and Brian. They both start with B. Yeah, that's close enough. They're different people, I realize. <laughs> sorry, Is Bob, if you're listening. I'm sorry. Are you're... they different people? Because I've never seen them in the same place together. <laughs> I think they're different We people. have them one, a one yeah. on yesterday, one on today, not at they the same They sound time. different. I mean, so, well. so that could be Bob throwing his voice, I guess. But. Yeah. Anyway, so Bob and Brian, Saturday mornings, Real Golf Radio. Why is Bob first? Brian and Bob? <laughs> I didn't put that much thought into it. RG and R- RGR with B&B. Yeah, something like that. There you go. Let's, you know, let's just go. Let's just shorten it. Why use words? I, uh, the other day when we had Bob on, I called those guys legends. They are. They're golf legends. Aren't they? Are you trying to get free rounds of golf or Seriously? something? What's no. going on? What, what's your no. angle here? Just the, the, are you pulling are, a hints? Are you trying to? No. Say, well, just dropping hints that you know a couple of legends like you could afford to pick up a round or two. I would never do it the way Hans does. I I was just paying them a compliment. Why do you disagree? Oh no, no, I think quite highly of both of them. I'm just wondering. That's all. You wonder too much. You really do. You're too skeptical, Jake. You really need to. No, incorrect. Uh, sh- show a little faith. Absolutely again, not. In, in humankind. You know, here I am trying to pay them a count because I really do respect both those guys. I mean, BT, he was our producer back uh, way back in the day. 
uh, and uh, I, I, and he just is very knowledgeable about golf. And Bob, I mean, what more do you need to say about Bob? I mean, are you, are you trying to say that Brian owes you? Is that what you were getting at? What? Feels like you were kind of trying to leverage, you know. No, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm trying to pay them a compliment. I just remember. I, I'm just saying that they are very knowledgeable when it comes to golf, and they're very well connected. Uh, and also uh, asking for <clears throat> a friend. Did BT uh, use being your producer to get him to better places in life, or did he realize it was a dead-end job and got out? <laughs> just asking. BT was very, very competent at everything he did. So I really dead do. End I, when he left. Got I, I got. Uh, I got nothing but respect for those guys. <laughs> I really do. I mean it. Not sports report coming up next. Stay tuned. Jerks. It's the big show. Ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone. Number one. The zone sports network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Oh, hey guys. Jake here from my friends at Zero Res. And listen, some companies clean with soap. Some use chemicals. Some simply soak your carpets hoping to rinse out all the dirt. But not Zero Res. They are absolutely Absolutely the best in the business, and I have been using them for well over a decade. They use the powered water. That's what they're all about. And Zero Res has that proprietary cleaning process that actually breaks down the dirt, soils, and allergens, making them easier to remove. And get this, the process actually uses less water, so you're not left with soaping wet carpets You know that can drag on for days. It works on your carpet. It works great on your tile and grout. I've used them for my whole house, and I would recommend that you do the same. And right now is a great, great time to do it because we're all spring cleaning, right? Well, they've got a great deal going for Zone listeners. Give them a call, 801-288-9376. Tell them you want your carpet zero res clean for just $33 per room cleaned. And that's carpet or tile, just $33. Minimum supply, but no maximums, so you can get that same great deal for the whole house. Give them a call, 801-288-9376. That's 801-288-ZERO. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. Put your bad bags on. Join me home. Bill Haley. He's a famous Bill. This is one of the very first rock and roll songs, right? Uh, was it one of the first rock and roll songs? Yeah. yeah. I think it was like this in Little Richard. He'd be but... nothing without the Comets. The Comets were brilliant. They're the heartbeat of I the agree. band. Gordon, you were a Comet, were you not? <laughs> I was offered the gig, you but were, I turned it down. But you said, no, you know what? I, I'm going to wait for something else. Oh, yeah. man. All right. It's time for the Not Sports Port brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we headed today? 
Well, I got two things. The first is in New York, and the second is in Cincinnati. Okay? So the first one is this. Walter Cronkite's brownstone, his townhouse that he lived in when he was doing the CBS Evening News for so many years, well, it's now for sale, Jake. Do you know how much they want for it? Let me take a guess. 39 grand. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting that you say that because he originally paid 40000 40, for it. But it is now for sale for 70, uh, I'm sorry, for $7.7 million. Are you interested? Is it simply because Walter Cronkite owned it or is it a nice house? I, it looks pretty nice. I looked at the pictures. Uh, it's a 19th century four-story brownstone, which dates to 1880. Features four bedrooms, custom millwork, and hardwood floors. There's also, Jake, an eat-in chef's kitchen and French doors that lead to a landscaped garden with bluestone pavers and a gas line grill. And he said this is in New York? In New York. Oh, hard pass. Okay. I don't know. That's, that's just kind of cool. When you think about all the people who Walter Cronkite had that he entertained there, among them Frank Sinatra and, and many others, it's, it's, it's you know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, but this gets back to the, the Seinfeld episode, right? The John Voight's car thing. Like, if you're really making that kind of investment just based on somebody who once lived there, <laughs> it doesn't seem like a real good reason to make that kind of decision to me. Well, it is for somebody who might have watched the evening news for all those years. Yeah, who just who heats their home with $50 bills. Yeah, who just has money to burn. <laughs> sure, you can have vain, reckless purchases like that. But for your average Joe, just, just buy a house that works for you. All right, and now the story from Cincinnati. Uh, Jake, a search is underway there uh, by police who have received reports of five monkeys on the loose. Five monkeys of all different sizes and uh, from different breeds. Dunstan checked out, huh? <laughs> no! Hey, you put I, some respect on that movie. I, I beat Gordon to the cheesy joke. So they've been, they, some people say they saw them hanging out at a place called St. Joseph Cemetery, who, uh, who are said to have found a, a place to make a nest in the trees there. So animal officers have been called in to, to help in the search. And, uh, you know, originally people wondered if they had uh, escaped from the Cincinnati Zoo. But no, says the zoo officials, say the zoo officials. They say all our primates are accounted for. So they didn't escape from the zoo. So my question to you, Jake, is where the heck did these monkeys come from? Uh, Ross Geller's apartment? You think, oh, you think they, like, boarded a train and just jumped, uh, jumped out in Cincinnati? Yep. I think that's exactly what happened. You know, uh, the theory is that people think that it's a private collection. Whatever that is. See, see I, I disagree. My theory is that... The zoo lost them and went, oh, boy, that's going to be a big fine. And went, no, we've got all our monkeys. I don't know whose monkeys those are. See, I think it's it's definitely like uh, when you're in, uh, um, 
the the upper class, like like Gordon, for example. You know, there there are people out there that that can afford just to collect, you know, bizarre animals that nobody else has. Is it legal to have? No, of course not. But that's part of it. It's the it's the like black market aspect of it all. Like Tiger King. Right. Except for that was legal. Scary enough. Well, to own them was legal, but what they were doing wasn't legal. I think it it was. That zoo was open forever. Oh, they were doing some illegal things there. Well, the meth part, yeah, but not the... <laughs> what they were doing to the animals. <laughs> it's, I, you know what? Not to get sidetracked, but watching that that crazy, awful show, it is alarming how few laws actually are are in existence to prevent that kind of behavior. It, it really, well, I really, I really, I did not watch that show, but I was unaware that you could have private collections of things like monkeys. Look at you call them things. Well, I mean. I know this is controversial, but you've seen the the collection of animals at a lagoon, right? That's a private. Oh, don't bring that up, man! But that's a private company that's, who owns these exotic animals. So that's, that's so terrible. Gordon said you didn't know that companies. Yeah, could but own them. I mean, Jake, if I said to you, you know, you know what I really want? I want to get myself a pack of monkeys. You can probably or, make it happen. I mean, how? What, did, what, uh, what is a group of monkeys called? Is it a troop? Is it a family? Is it a Flock is it a what is gorillas is troop. I don't know about just monkeys in general though. Huh. Well, anyway, uh, I I was unaware that you could just hey go buy five monkeys. You can't. That's the thing. That's what makes it exclusive. Well, I mean, what, 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 how do you legally do it? You don't. That's the point. You mean it's all illegal? This private collection is uh, on the download. Yeah, like you Hence know, no one's coming forward. And you saying, know, those are my monkeys. When a Van Gogh gets stolen, they they sell it to people who are into buying stolen stuff. It's similar, I mean, but why is it say it's just a private collection? Like that's a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. Can, can, oh, okay. can you imagine the the poor uh, animal control guy that gets home that night from work and his wife's like, "How was your day?" And he's like, "Well, I thought I signed up to." catch stray dogs and cats instead of chasing five monkeys of various sizes and breeds through the cemetery oh i would rather have monkeys than rabid cats (laughs) (laughs) screw that well cats are probably harder to herd yeah Um, no part of that i you know that's still one of the funniest videos ever it does say here though jake you'll find this interesting and quite ironic really one of the monkeys name is bill how about that it doesn't say that. What can I... What? It doesn't say... You are lying. They don't even know who owns these monkeys. How would they ask his name? And he tipped his cap and took That's a cigar did. out and said, Bill? That's what they did. One of, one of the ladies, we saw him. She was taking pictures of him. And she, she started yelling names to him. And one, when she <laughs> said Bill, one of them started coming over. Yeah. Okay, that's a lie. But anyway. is this the is this the guy here introducing his cat? I gotta watch this during the break. All right, Matt Harpring is coming up next. Stay tuned. It's it, Bill, madam. It is the big show, ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone.